I'd like to uh, try a meditation this evening. Switch things up a little bit. Turn to the person next to you, if there is someone there. Otherwise, you could just pretend. And look into their eyes. Look at each other's eyes for 10 seconds. Whoever blinks first loses. <laughs> There's obviously something very powerful when we really look at somebody, and it's even more powerful when they're looking back at us. I'd like to explore some of this uh, dynamic, the, uh, what could be a life-altering hanhaga, a form of meditation, through the koach of Re'iya, using the, the power of vision. Throughout the Parsha, there's a lot of discussion regarding the Re'iya, the attempt to be mekalel, to curse Klal Yisrael, Pasuk says that in the morning, Balak takes Bilam and they ascend the mountain together. Vayar Misham Ketzeyam, and he saw from there part of the Klal Yisrael. Ketzeyam, a portion of the nation. So it seems like in this process of whatever exactly Bilam was trying to do, to find the right angle for the Klala, there was a need for Re'iyah. He had to see Klal Yisrael. So the Ramban explains, Balak was trying to take Bilam to a high place in order to allow him to see Klal Yisrael. In order to have intention in his Klala, and that his neshama should not be separated from them, because this is how we work as human beings, to become dovak, to become attached or connected with someone or something, while I'm gazing at it. So Balak really wanted Bilam to do a good job with his klala. And they understood the science of klala. You have to have a real connection. That requires re'iyah. You have to see the nation of Klal Yisrael. Only through that lotifrad nafsho mehem, then there will not be any disconnect. You'll be able to be machave and to focus, to pay attention. Because kochos and nefesh, the way we work as human beings, is that through re'iya, we have the vekus. Through seeing, through vision, we're able to connect with something. The Raman goes on to quote a Gemara in Baba Kama, on Dav Kuf And this is a uh, very interesting story of Rabbi Yochanan when he was already older, one of the ziknei hador, one of the greatest Talmud Chachamim of his time. Sabahava, he was very elderly. Gavine, 
and his eyelids were closed naturally. Into the shear came a new student, Rav Kahana, and after a while, they started picking up on the brilliance of Rav Kahana. Just like nowadays, what shows the, the real potential of a budding Talmud Chacham? Not necessarily how much they know, but if they could ask a good kasha, if you could ask a good poignant question on what the Rebbe is saying, that means you're able to follow, you're able to understand and appreciate the cheshbin. So Rav Kahana started asking questions on the, on the Torah of Rav Yochanan. The Gemara says that every question Rav Kahana asked that he did not know how to answer, he removed one cushion from underneath. So he kept on getting lower and lower to show that he was humbling himself before the younger Rav Kahana. After a while, Rav Yochanan, who was not able to see him yet, he turned to those around him and he said, Deluli Open my eyes for me. He wasn't able to do so himself. Open my eyes for me so I could see him. He wanted to see Rav Kahana. The end of the story is even more strange. They opened his eyes. They were able to prop up the eyelids. He sees Rav Kahana. It turns out that Rav Kahana has a split lip, but it looks like he was smiling as if he was making fun of Yochanan. Rav Yochanan took that as an insult, and Rav Kahana passed away. The end. Baruch Hashem, it doesn't end right there. Rav Yochanan was informed that he wasn't laughing at you. Don't take it personally. That's the way he always looks. So Rav Yochanan was able to do Tchiyas HaMesim, and everything ended happily ever after. But the question that Rav Yochanan poses or the request, namely, open my eyes, I want to see him. Why did Rav Yochanan want to see Rav Kahana? We would assume he was curious, right? Here we have this young rising star, I want to take a look. Rav Yochanan wouldn't do anything based on curiosity. So the Marsha says, Efshir Lomar, it's possible to suggest, Da'adam meven yoser mechavero mirabo, that one's able to understand more from his friend or from his teacher, kishiroa oso bepanim, when you could see their face. So perhaps the reason why Rav Yochanan was asking for them to open up his eyes, to be able to, to look at Rav Kahana, was to be able to understand him more, to, to get a deeper idea of where he was coming from, what exactly he was asking. That's the suggestion of the Marsha. Now we find this idea in another Gemara, fairly well-known Gemara in Erevin, where Behuda Hanasi was speaking about the reason why he was Zoha to accomplish so much in his life. Behuda Hanasi really being the, the leader of Kalal Yisrael in the second century CE, the compiler of the Mishnah, he was hands down viewed as the Godel Hador. So he says, The reason why I'm sharper, or I was able to accomplish more than my friends, 
is the chazise l'reb meyer me'acharei. Because I had the opportunity, I had the privilege to see Reb Meir from the back. Simply understood, in, in the positioning of how they were learning in the base Medrash, Reb Meir was sitting in front of him, Reb Yehuda Hanasi was behind him, and he's saying, I was able to see Reb Meir from the back, that's why I feel like I have an edge on my contemporaries. Ve'ilu chazite mekamei, have a but the truth is, if I was able to see him from the front, the face of Reb Meir, then I would be even greater than I am now. Dechsev, like it says, ro'os es morecha. This is a verse in Yeshaya, that your eyes shall behold the vision of your teacher. If you could see the person who's teaching you, then that has more of an influence on you and on your understanding of what's being transmitted. So we have Rav Yochanan wanting to see Rav Kahana, according to the Marsha, to understand him better. We have Rebbe telling us that if he had, if he only had the chance to see Rav Meir, his face, not just from the back, he would be more accomplished. And the Marsha says the exact same rationale that he explains in Baba Kama, namely, because when you see someone's face, I understand you, and I, I, I get you. They're facial expressions that make so much of an impact on communication. And like we mentioned before, right, the reason why wearing a mask was so incredibly difficult in the classroom, because it's one thing to, to speak, and hopefully they could hear what you're saying. But so much of what's being transmitted is lost because they can't see you. So much of the material, so much of the, the, the truth you're trying to give over is within the punim. And the punim is covered up. So we have these two Gemaras that speak about, seems like from a practical perspective, when I see you, I get you, I appreciate you more. However, it's clear from the Ramban, when the Ramban explained the reason why Bilam wanted to see Klal Yisrael, it wasn't an intellectual thing. It wasn't he would understand them more by, by looking at them. It was in order to not have a pirud, not have any disconnect. Because when I'm looking at you, then I could be dovak with you. That's something much deeper than looking at your face allows me to understand what you're saying better. The Ramban is clearly speaking on more of a mystical level. Ruchni isdik. Somehow seeing doesn't just allow me to comprehend what's being said, but it creates a real devekus hanefesh. Rav Chaim Shmulevitz suggests that might be the deeper understanding of these two Gemaras as well. Why did Rabbi Yochanan want to see the face of Rav Kahana? Why was it that Rebbe would have been a greater person if he saw the face of Rav Meir? Not just because I would, I would get the sheer better, but because there'd be more of a devekus hanefesh. There'd be more of a connection, more of this, this emotional bond that comes through me looking at you. 
when Yaakov Avinu was about to give the bracha to his grandchildren, the Pasuk says, Ve'ene Yisrael kavdu mizokein, that the eyes of Yisrael, of Yaakov, were heavy from age. Lo liros, he was no longer able to see. love, so they brought Ephraim and Manasseh to Yaakov. Ve'yishak lehem v'yechabek lehem. And he kissed them, and he hugged them, and then he gave them the bracha. Why did Yaakov give a hug and a kiss to his grandchildren? Sounds like a strange question, because he's the grandfather, he's on his deathbed, it makes sense, you want to give a hug and a kiss. But again, if we're trying to climb into the mind of someone like a Yaakov Avinu, just like Rabbi Yochanan, there must have been more going on than curiosity to see the face of Rav Gahana, there must have been a deeper reason or a different motivation as to why Yaakov wanted to hug and kiss his grandchildren before giving a bracha. And the Svorno tells us what that was. The Svorno explains that because he was no longer able to see, because he was no longer able to see well, his bracha that he was trying to bestow upon his grandchildren would not have taken effect. Therefore, he wanted to, not just out of a natural love that a grandparent has for his grandchildren, but he gave him a hug and a kiss, in order to create a devekis had nefesh, in order to attach himself more wholly and more completely to his grandchildren, in order to give that bracha. This is an incredible insight from the Sforno. It seems like when we speak about a klala, the science behind cursing, there has to be a devekus hanefesh, there has to be a connection that can be created through vision. The same thing is also true when it comes to the science of a bracha. How do I, as a human being, have the ability to somehow bestow upon you blessing. Whatever that energy was that Yaakov had within his possession, that he was now trying to channel it to his grandchildren, how does that work? There needs to be a connection of spirit. There needs to be a devekas hanefesh. The Svorno seems to be saying, if Yaakov was able to see his grandchildren, that could have been sufficient even without giving a hug and a kiss. Being able to gaze at your grandchildren, that itself creates Dvekas and Nefesh. Because he was no longer able to see well, he didn't have that weapon in his arsenal. So what do you do then? You use a different language of love, namely physical affection. He had to hug and kiss them to create that, 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 the vacus, to create that, that bond that he wasn't able to create through vision. Generally, when we speak about being affectionate with children, we usually view it from the perspective of the child. Part of their development, part of them having a sense of security and trust in their parents, 
and their surroundings in general is to be cuddled and to be hugged and kissed. That's part of a healthy childhood. The child needs it. It's true. We see from the Sforno, it also works in the opposite direction. That you, the parent, or in this case, you, the grandparent, it helps you as well create a stronger bond. And that could be through the affection, through the hug and the kiss, and that could also be potentially through the re'iya, through the gazing. Re'iya has the, the almost magical ability to connect me with you. Reb Chaim Shmolevitz, when he explores this idea, I want to read to you one line. This is source number 10. Al yudei ha-re'iya nidvekis nafsho benefish rabo. The Gemaras that we mentioned of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi wishing he would have seen the face of Rameir or of Yochanan wanting to see the face of Rav Kahana. Not just as the Marshal explained because it helps me understand exactly what you're trying to communicate, but it creates a devekis and nefesh with my Rebbe, with the person I'm trying to gain from. And through that, I could have more of this, this influence, this hashpa that comes through my Rebbe. That's why being able to see my parent, my teacher, even my friend, is so important in the relationship and the communication. Not just physical touch, not just words of affirmation, but just gazing at each other, not in a judgmental way, not looking at you through my own subjective lens, but just looking, a re'iya. That creates the vekas and nefesh. Sometimes we're experiencing something, we're having a, a, you know, something exciting, and the natural reaction is, we got to capture this. Got to take out the cell phone and either get a selfie of you and the beautiful scene behind you. We got to get the pictures. We got to post them. We got to show people. And obviously, there's this the real need to try to capture the moment and through technology, we have that ability on some level. At the same time, we need to be careful that by trying to capture the moment, we very likely lose the moment forever. If I'm not allowing myself to be absorbed in the present and really see what's happening, and my whole focus is, how can I make sure to share this with somebody else who's not here so they could see how cool it is, that means I'm not really looking. I'm not really living. When you try this meditation of looking into someone's eyes, at first it might feel awkward. And you've, you have this when you're schmoozing with somebody. If the person you're talking to is constantly looking right into your eyes, it's a little bit strange. I had a Rebbe like that one time, a very holy person 
And whenever we would talk, he would just gaze right into my eyes. And I found myself constantly like looking down, <laughs> looking around. <laughs> like, stop penetrating into my neshama. You're going to figure out who I really am. <laughs> I don't want you to do that. But it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. But it could be extremely powerful in creating a devekas hanefesh. Here's the, the, the meditation when it comes to parenting. When you're overwhelmed with responsibilities, it's easy to slide into automatic pilot with your kids. But if your mind is elsewhere during the precious moments you've worked hard to preserve, you've lost your kid's childhood just as surely as you hadn't spent the time with them at all. Instead, try to stay in the moment with a parenting meditation in which you focus on seeing your children hearing them, understanding them, and really being amazed by what you've created. That line, I don't like saying what you've created, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given you. Living, breathing miracles of life who are learning like sponges and growing like weeds. It's an interesting experiment. A person finds himself or herself in a moment where there's a lot going on, and I'm not pleased with the behavior or the response or lack of a response that I'm getting from one or several children, to take a moment and have in mind, I'm not trying to fix anything right now. I'm not trying to make anybody do any particular task. We'll get to that. But right now, I'm just seeing them for who they are. And I'm going to penetrate deeper than the, the whining or the complaining or the lack of appreciation. There is a, a study out of Harvard where using a, 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 basically an app, they were able to pinpoint when a person was spacing out during a task. So I'm supposed to be doing this, I have to return this email, or I have to get this particular assignment in, and my mind wanders. And what they discovered is that whenever we're trying to do something, whatever it is, unless we're really engaged in it, our mind is elsewhere more than 50% of the time. Imagine how more effective we would be if we actually just focused on the task at hand. What they also found, which I think is even more relevant, is that the more someone had the ability to stay focused, to keep themselves in the moment, and not allow their mind to wander, not allow the pirud nefesh, but to have a devekis of whatever I'm doing right now, I'm in it, I'm engaged, those people were generally significantly more happy while they were doing that particular task. Well, my mind is wandering, no matter where it might float off, or my daydreams, or anxieties of the, the future, regrets of the past, whatever's going on in my head, I'm not as happy as I can be if I was focused on what I was doing now, even if what I'm doing is not necessarily exciting. But being fully engaged, that in and of itself, seeing, being present, that brings a source of simcha. 
there's a flip side of the coin as well. Being able to absorb the present, look at the people we're communicating with, even taking a moment and, and, and as they say, or as they said in the 60s, allow yourself to trip on the tree. Just look at the tree. Gaze at it. Allow yourself to be amazed by it. Everything is incredible if we actually look at it. The flip side of the coin is, if vision is so powerful and it can attach me to somebody or something, then just like there's an Asay Tov of being proactive, proactive, there's obviously a Sur Meirah, which is trying to do everything I can to shelter myself from seeing things or being exposed to things that will create a Devekis Hanefesh in a very unhealthy way. The Medish Rabbah tells us in the end of Parshas Achrei Mos that Shekol Misharoa Dava Erva Ve'eno Zon Einav Mimeno Very interesting expression. If I see something inappropriate, something that I don't really want to be looking at, I don't want to be exposed to this, the fact that I happen to see it, there are many things that we see Marosh Shiva used to say, the mind is an open garbage pail. We always have thoughts coming in and out. But if I'm able to control myself, to have the strength and the courage, eno zon enov mi menu, that I'm not going to satiate my eyes from that. Zochah lahakbil penei shechina, I will be zochah, I will merit to be able to, to be makabel the penei shechina to greet the presence of the divine. And the Pasuk that's quoted as a proof to this concept is a Pasuk in Yeshai as well. Otsim enav meros bera. If I close my eyes, although it may not be easy and it may not be natural, and oftentimes I'm just looking because I'm curious, but if I close my eyes, meros bera, melech biyofyo techzena, I will be able to see the king in his glory. The king referring to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. There's an amazing comment of the Beis Yosef. Beis Yosef, the famous commentary on the tour from Yosef Karo. He quotes in the Rebbeinu Yonah, speaking about the Kedusha, the sanctity that we could infuse into our, our very essence by being careful as to what we allow ourselves to be exposed to. This is in source number 15. If I allow myself to look at something that's inappropriate, that's negative, that, that, that's lacking Kedusha, that's void of spirituality, then what happens is, it's not just I did something I shouldn't have done but it has an impact on me as a person. It weakens the power of the Yetzir HaTov, meaning that overwhelming flow of Kedusha that I have within me, that's now diminished to some degree, and I become more attracted, I become more addicted 
to need to, to see, to explore things that I know are not going to be beneficial for my spirituality or for my emotional well-being. Vasher lo nasa enav, but one who is able to have the power, to have the courage, to have the ruach. I'm not going to allow myself to explore because I know I don't want to get into that world. Then zocha v'techzena enav b'noam Hashem mida kenegin mida. I will be zocha to see the noam Hashem, the pleasantness of the Kaddish Baruch Hu, in a mida kenegin mida manner, meaning to say. If I'm careful with my vision, with the koach of Re'iyah, and I bedafka try to look at those things and those people and the world around me that could be so uplifting, that could create a devekas and nefesh in a healthy, productive way, and I also have the sur meirah, I try to shelter myself as much as possible from being exposed to things that I know will only be to my detriment, if I'm careful with what I'm looking at in this world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows me to see so much more in the world of Ruchnius. Sometimes we have the mindset that, uh, listen, it's one thing if you were living in, in B'nai Brak, you're living in, in Square, where you're, your whole life you're living in this insular bubble, not exposed to anything. So many of the, the ideas that are out there don't have to penetrate your far walls of the base medrash. But we don't live there. We live in the real world. And we're exposed to many different ideas and, and philosophies and images and movies. And there's so many things. Even trying to do something fairly par of like, look at the news. There's so much out there that is very much the antithesis of a Torah lifestyle. So what do you want from me? I'm going to see any, 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 anything, anywhere I go. And I think the answer is, we can only do as much as we can do. And we will see things, and we will be exposed to ideas and philosophies and hashkafos that are far, far removed from anything close to real Torah values. And we have to live with that. But it doesn't therefore mean that as much as I can do, as much as we have control over, in my home, in my sanctuary, with my family, what do I allow myself to be exposed to that we do have control over? It's not all or nothing. When it comes to children, the idea of what children watch and listen to obviously have a deeper impact than once we're older. And on one hand, it's more difficult because you have that control issue of the parent trying to tell the kids what they can and cannot do. On the other hand, there's much more of a need to stay strong and to stay true to the values of Torah because what I see, what I hear when I'm a child, has, has a transformative impact on, on who I become and how I view the world and how I view myself. There is a letter that was written, I've quoted this before, from Rav Shach and the Stipler. At the time, there were two of the, the Gedolei Olam. And they speak about the dangers of television. This is before 
the internet conversation. But they speak about the dangers of TV, and they address a, an approach or an angle that many people were saying, listen, for myself, I'm very careful. For my kids, what's the big deal? So they write here on uh, page four, Ki adarabba. The truth is, we should be more concerned about our children. When it comes to children, there's more of a danger. Because the overwhelming desire of a child is, if this is what I see around me, this is what I want to be doing. I want to be dressing like that. I want to be speaking like that. Although we all have that to some degree, as we're growing up and we're trying to create our identity, it has so much more of a hashpa on who we are. And furthermore, when it comes to children, the images stay with you. Everything that we experience and especially something that we see where there's real emotion connected to it. There's music, there's drama. It's not just an image, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm in the show, I'm, I'm in the movie. And sometimes I could have a particular disturbing thought or image in my head for the rest of my life, because of something that I was into as a child, just because I was curious, I'm not a bad guy, just because I was exploring, just because there were no real restrictions, I happened to get into it. But that could impact me for the rest of my life. And they conclude, even in Ritz Hashem, as these children grow into adults and Ovdei Hashem, and they have their beautiful from families, with the Kedusha and the Tahara of their own home, <clears throat> sometimes these interactions or experiences they had in childhood can stay with them forever. <coughs> so we think about guarding ourselves, protecting what we're exposed to. It's that much more of a sakana, of a danger for our children. I want to end with something that I saw recently from Rav Simcha Zisel Brody, where he points out that when it comes to what we see, we're not nearly as objective as we think we are. Because you and I could be looking at the exact same thing and have a very different reaction. What I see is oftentimes based on who I am. We all see the world through our own subjective eyes. Simcha Zisel Brody, he writes that the koach mufla tamod be'ene ha'adam, there's this intense power that's hidden within the eyes of a person. Al yedei re'iya achas betzitzis. Theoretically, if we were really paying attention, through looking at the tzitzis one time, that has the ability, lahoviyas ha'adam lezikaron ulesiyas kola mitzvos. I remember the mitzvos, I'm inspired. The Pasuk says pretty clearly, when we look at these strings, then we're reminded of the mitzvos and we do them. Really? I look at my strings every day. The answer is, 
It depends how you're looking. It depends what you're thinking. He says, think about it in a broader sense. You go outside in a clear night, you look up to the heavens, you see you know, gorgeous stars, the vastness of the universe. What do you think? Does that inspire you? It depends who you are. On one hand, Yeshaya tells us, just look up to the heavens, and you'll see beyond the shadow of a doubt, clearly, this is all the world of a Baruch Hu. I feel, I sense the intelligent design, the brilliance of the Bria. All you have to do is look up towards the heaven. However, we have a Pasuk that says, be very careful when you look upwards. Pentise necha ha you might look up towards heaven, and you'll see the sun and the moon and the stars and all of the celestial bodies. And that will lead you astray. And you'll end up worshipping the sun and bowing down to the moon and assuming the stars have some kind of independent force over us. Explains Reb Simchazisel Brody, it's the exact same image. For one person, it could bring to inspiration. It could strengthen my amunah and my bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu to see Hashem through the world. And for somebody else, it could just reinforce your, your false notion that everything is just random. I look up and I see a universe that just happened to be here because it was, with no rhyme and no reason. So the importance of not only looking at those things or those people that could be a real source of inspiration, but taking ownership of how I'm viewing you. Taking ownership of what I'm trying to see. Am I looking at it from the perspective that I, I, I want to utilize this to grow? I want to gaze into your eyes, not out of a, a sense of resentment or betrayal, but because I want to look past all of this, this narishkeit, all of the blockage, and I want to see you for who you are. And I want to appreciate you, even though right now things may not be so easy. That's being able to see someone for real. And at the same time, like Reb Simcha Zizel concludes, Mishum shekoach hashba she'odam mushpa meriyas enav Because the power of what we see is so incredibly influential. It's so strong. Shorshim benefesh adam it takes root within the very essence of a human being. We have to have the strength, we have to have the courage, we have to have the foresight to make sure that I'm not going to see things, I'm not going to expose myself or my family to things or ideas that I feel are not productive, they're not healthy. They're not going to make me happy. We'll conclude with the tefillah that really we daven every morning. <coughs> we say, Hashem, bring light, enlighten our eyes, in your Torah. Allow me not to be distracted, but to use my vision for something that's pure, for something that's holy. Allow me to see your Torah. And through that, 
If Re'iyah brings the vacus, if vision brings connection, we want to be connected to you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, through your Torah. V'hore einenu b'sorasecha, v'dabek libeinu b'mitzvosecha. We want to be connected to your mitzvos. V'yachei levaveinu l'ahavo u'la'ire shemecha. To be able to have that proper love and reverence for you. We should be zochet to use the koach of re'iyah, the power of vision, in a beautiful and effective way. Shkoyach.